we started last week, well, I started last week by saying that in Zechariah, we learn that uh, we are not to despise the small things. It's the small things that begin stuff. And I think the picture of the avalanche is amazing. It's the, the whole thing of, of it just does, it just takes one degree difference, one of um, many degrees to make a difference to the whole way in which the world is. And we then went on to read from 1 Corinthians. Now, the 1 Corinthians passage is about saying that not many are noble, not many are wise, not many are um, grand, if you like. He's chosen those things that are seemingly insignificant. And it comes to the end of that passage in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, and Paul says, it's so that the honor, the glory, the power belongs to God. It's not that we're great. It's not that we are fantastic or magnificent or we do massive things for God. It's that he takes the little bit that we have as we bring it to him. And he, he makes something of it. It's the little things. Because in that sense, then, it's always the glory that goes to God. Because we don't have intrinsically any great giftedness. That already is not a gift that is given to us. And then we looked at the images that Jesus uses to show the power of the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 18, he spoke about the children who come to him. And, and, and that's the power. That's where the power is if we become like children. In Matthew 5, he talks about salt or light. And we looked at that a bit. And we, then we saw in Matthew 13 that he tells a parable about yeast. And he takes a small amount of yeast. And then he uses this massive amount of flour, 30 kilograms of flour. And he says a little bit of yeast can actually infect, uh, affect that huge amount of flour. And then Paul writing to the Corinthians again, he says it just takes a little bit of yeast to leaven the entire lump. It's time and it's patience. And it's, the point is this, it's not about us, as he wrote to them. He was saying to the Corinthian church, and you know what's wonderful about that? is the Corinthian church were a, a really uh, mixed up, muddled up, messy bunch of people. Uh, go and read 1 and 2 Corinthians again and look at the things that he has to deal with with the Corinthian church. And it makes your eyes come out on stalks, the kind of things that were going on in the life of the church. They were hardly a moral bunch. And Paul is writing to them and saying, you know, you guys are exactly what God is looking for because it's his grace, his love, his kindness, his spirit working through you. It's those gifts that he gives in 1 Corinthians 12 to the church, to every one of us on the screen that forms the entire body. It's those little things. It's when Ian prays for someone at school. It's when um, Kathy prays for someone who's on the bus with her or whatever it happens to be. It's, it's the way in which we are all doing these little things that brings everything together. And at the end of the day, we say, isn't God great? Not because we were able to do incredible things. And that's the point I was trying to make last week, is that we are not called to do great things for God. I believe we are called to do small things for God, with God and to do it consistently. So let me say that again because I nearly messed it up. I think we are called to do small things with God and to do that consistently. And that's what Gail was telling us about um, the passage from um, 
uh, where was it, Matthew 13, I think it was, with the feeding of the 5,000, a little boy who brings his lunch, five slices of bread and two little fish. It's that little gift that Jesus then takes and breaks and makes something. Small things with God and done consistently. And then Mark reminded us of the chessboard. And the chessboard image is that, and, and I looked it up this week, and there's different um, versions of the story. Some say it was in India, some say it was in China, but essentially the story is like this. The guy who invented the whole chess thing took it to the king or the emperor, and he said, this is what I've done. And the king was so excited about it that he said, you can ask whatever you like. And what he asked for was that one grain of rice be placed on the first square of the chessboard and that there would be two on the second. And it's this whole, um, the power of doubling up, essentially, and then four on the third and eight on the fourth, and so it would continue. And the king said, yes, absolutely. And as the story goes, after a couple of days, he came and he said to the king, why haven't I received my rice that I am Jew? And the king went and spoke to his treasurer, and the treasurer said, well, we can't do it. And here's the reason that you can't do it is because after eight squares, after you've gone one line of the chessboard, you have 255 grains of rice, not a great amount. But by the time you come to almost the end of the second row, you have a kilogram of rice. By the time you get halfway on the board, halfway on the board, you have 279 tons of rice just by doubling up from one grain of rice. And then they get to what they call the second half of the chessboard, where it just exponentially and radically transforms. So by the time you get to square 64 on the chessboard, you have 1.4 trillion tons of rice. Now, that's a meaningless figure. So I, I went and looked at it. Production for 2021 was in the region of 700 to 800 million tons of rice. So it would be 2,000 years of rice production that you get at the end of the chessboard, 64 squares, if you just double up on each square. So that takes us back way beyond Jesus into the BC time of our history. That's how much it means if, you, if, if the one, as Mark says, just brings one more. And if we, we all look at ourselves and we think, well, it's meaningless. What can I do? What is my life? What is my prayer? What is my one act of kindness or goodness or generosity going to achieve? But when I do it and you do it and Gail does it, what happens is you get this doubling up effect. So in the beginning, at the end of the first row, where we become so impatient and we want instant gratification in our society, at the end of the first row, there's just a little handful of rice, 255 grains, and we think, oh, that's not going to feed a whole lot of people. But when we stick at it, when we are consistent in it, and when we keep doing it, and do it over and over, over days and weeks and months and years. By the end of the second row, it's a kilogram. By the end of the fourth row, 
it's close to uh, 300 tons. Now, this whole thing of being consistent, of doing it over and over again, I've been reflecting over the last three or four months on the whole thing of um, um, practicing things and patterns and repetition. If you think of music, music is just uh, certain patterns that are repetitive. They go over and over. But we love it. Music is one of the most beautiful things in the world. It's just repetitious patterns. That's really all it is. And I looked at this passage. I found this passage in, in Psalm 119, verse 56. Psalm 119, you might know, is virtually every verse in this longest of all psalms is about the word of God. Psalm 119, 56 says this. This has been my practice. This is what I repeat. This is what I do over and over and over and over again. I obey your precepts. I obey your commands. I obey the things that you say. That's what the psalmist is saying. That's what the NIV, how the NIV translates it. He says, this is what my practice is. This is the thing that I keep repeating. I obey your commands. Ezekiel um, is talking, and we won't go into the whole history of it, but in chapter 33, verse 32, he says to Israel, you see and you hear, and then to quote, he says this, but you do not put my words into practice. Matthew, Matthew 7, uh, let me read that in the, in the, the NIV. And I think it's, it's, this is the heart of it in a way. Let me remind you, this is at the end of Matthew 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is probably the most concentrated teaching of Jesus about the kingdom, and within this you find pretty much everything that Jesus had to say in some form or another. After he spoke and all these things to the people, this is the story that he tells. And then the sermon is concluded with the end of the story. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and that's why I made the point of saying this is the end of the sermon. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice it's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. That's how Jesus ends his sermon. With that image, that picture, that um, sort of powerful um, summing up and saying, when you hear things, when you see them, you ought to be doing it. And Paul grabs this and he, and he understands this. And as he writes to the um, Philippians, we know this passage exceptionally well at the end of Philippians because we quote, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then we quote all of that stuff. The end of that little passage about being anxious for nothing, praying the peace of God, whatever is true, good, lovely, let your mind dwell on these things. He then says this. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So he hammers it home. 
You've learned it, you've received it, you've heard it, you've seen it in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul is aware that it's not something that just is done once, and then we leave it. We continue to practice these things, the uh, whatever is true and right and just and pure. We practice that stuff. The spiritual disciplines are us learning how to practice our reading, our prayer. In our small group on a Wednesday night, we, uh, towards the end of last year, um, we made a commitment that we would, um, we chose one thing that we were going to pray intensively about, each of us individually. We, we holding each other accountable to be kind once a week. We're holding each other accountable to be generous once a week. Now, that doesn't seem to be massive, but if we do it over 52 weeks, then something significant is beginning to happen. And that's the point from last week and, and what I wanted to expand this week and to say it's not about the small thing in and of itself. Yes, God is in those things and he takes them and he breaks them and he makes them bigger. But we have to consistently practice and do those things, one after the other after the other. It's important if we're going to learn new habits, new ways of living. Um, I wrote down something here and I can't find it. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. Practice makes perfect. We think that that has come with it's come from our old English of perfect. Practice makes mature because that's the way that the New Testament understands the understanding of perfect. It's not that you're without fault, you don't sin, you don't do anything wrong. Perfect is about being mature. Practice makes us mature. It brings us to a place where we're living out the things that we have heard and seen in others and what God has spoken to us. We are living out the word of God. And that brings me back to what Marnie read for us earlier on. He said, um, Jesus' mom says to him, they've got no wine. And he said, so? Essentially, he said, so? And then she turns to the servants and she says, whatever he says to you, do it. And I think the challenge for us constantly isn't that we don't know that we ought to be kind or that we ought to be caring for people or we ought to be praying or reading. I think when we read the Sermon on the Mount, there is a clarity. Uh, even if we, we grapple with what it means, it's about the doing of it. And when these servants do what Jesus tells them, the water is turned into wine. <coughs> I think that when we look at the small things, when we take those often repeated small things that we do, what is happening somewhere in there, and I can't, I can't tell you explicitly, but I know this to be true, that at some point along that continuum, it's like the avalanche. There is, there is potential energy stored there, and the rain comes, and at some point, you can't tell when or how or exactly when it's going to happen, but then suddenly it all slips down. And in the same way, we come with just the small things, these small things that matter so much, 
Because at some point, there's a shift, there's a newness, there's an energy, there's a life that comes. Because God takes those uh, five little pieces of bread and that two fish, and he blesses it and he breaks it and multiplies it. So, essentially, it's just an enlargement of what we spoke on last week, but it's an encouragement for us because there's, this is what we can all do. There's nothing in this that we cannot actually, all of us, do on a regular basis. 